0: Now, let's talk about lament. Let's switch gears. Um, Talking about this idea of lament for a couple of weeks. I just want to begin by telling you that what most of you already know, and that's that I spent most of my growing up years in the Baptist church, in the Baptist heritage, and um, that is my heritage, and I've been greatly enriched by it and so helped by the fact that that is my heritage. And so many of you could say the same thing. Um, And I, I wanted to mention that, how meaningful and thankful I am for that heritage, because I don't want what I'm about to say to overshadow all the good that I've received from that heritage. Growing up in the Baptist tradition, what I caught by observation, so this is not what I was taught, but this is what I caught by observation. I caught by observation that there is really only one way to approach God. And that one way to approach God is with a smile on our face on Sunday morning. Uh, We have to come ready to eagerly greet our fellow worshipers with a howdy, y'all, or howdy, brother, And um, it's probably better if we uh, check our darker feelings at the door so that we don't sort of bring down the overall positive vibe that's in the room that the rest of the people are contributing to. And if you were not able to produce an authentic smile, you at least needed to be able to produce a pretty convincing fake one for about an hour. And let me just speculate a little bit on how that kind of culture is birthed, okay? So this is, I'm going to engage in speculation, but I think it's, um, I think it's educated speculation. But how does that kind of culture develop where we have to feel like that in in order to approach God? How does that happen in the church? Well, you know, many of you know that Baptists are not liturgical at all. There's no script. In fact, any kind of script for worship is really seen as a dangerous negative thing. Very few prayers of confession for sin. No regard for the church calendar and observing things like Lent and Advent and uh, Epiphany and these kind of things. Probably no recitation of creeds. Um, no assigned passages for the week no prayers for the week no there's no there's none of those things in most baptist churches unless it's really really unusual baptist church we could say that it's just all kind of unscripted which isn't necessarily bad but but here's what can happen and here's what usually does happen and has happened is that the result of that kind of unscripted worship is an unwritten code it's, it's a different kind of script. This unwritten script that guides worship, which we could just call general positivity. That's the script that everyone is contributing to. It's just, hey, everything is fine here, and we're just going to try to keep it that way. Everything is fine here, and let's keep it that way. Now look, in a sense, that's true. In a sense, it's true that everything is fine here because of of the work of Jesus Christ for the Christian. The arc of our lives has completely changed and we are secure and everything is fine eternally, forever. There's a sense in which that is true, but here is the question. Do we have to repress Or disregard the real pain that we feel in this life in order to approach God in worship? Is that what God wants? Is it okay to approach God with pain and not smiling? Is it okay to come to this room or a gathering of Christians with a downcast heart? Is God disappointed in us when we do that? Would he rather us play out the happy worship script? Is there another kind of script? Is there a script for pain as well as happiness? Is there a liturgy for those that can't smile today and aren't sure if they'll ever be able to smile again? Thinking about those who have lost their spouse or their child or their dream, their ministry, their house, lost their job, maybe lost their joy. There is another kind of script. There is an approach to God for the sad and the weary and the longing and the ashamed and the sick in soul. an approach, it's a liturgy that God has given us, it's all through the scriptures from many different authors modeled by many different individuals that we meet in the scriptures, including Jesus himself and it's called lament it's for me and it's for you it's for the human experience so that people that love God and love Jesus can still approach him even when life is hard So we're going to spend two Sundays talking about lament. Today, we're just going to talk about lament in general from Psalm 74, which is a psalm of lament. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the lament that Jesus himself offered on Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Jesus offered a lament on the original Palm Sunday, on the occasion of the triumphal entry, and we're going to um, observe that from Luke 19 next weekend, okay? Today we're simply going to learn what lament is and why it's valuable, okay? Our starting point, very simply, is this. We're going to ground ourselves in reality and just be willing to admit that we live in the midst of lamentable circumstances, okay? I really don't feel like I have to go into any kind of specific examples. Did some of that earlier in the service, talking about lamentable circumstances at the macro level, like what we see going on in Ukraine, we have lamentable circumstances at the micro level when we look inside ourselves and the, the sin and the brokenness. It's, it's just manifested everywhere. This is our reality of the human experience. We're not hopeless, okay? We still see wonderful acts of love and mercy and kindness. Humans are doing those things. They're doing those things today all over the planet. But sin and death are certainties in this life. And brokenness is pervasive, Living in this creation that's longing to be set free. Creation is groaning under the weight of sin. Lament is a response to that reality. Lament is a response to living in a broken world. And it's not only a response. It is the God-given God-centered, God-ordained, biblical response to living in a broken world. How do we know that lament is that biblical, God-ordained, God-centered response? How do we know that that's exactly how we should respond to living in a broken world? Well, that's the second thing that we want to observe, is the presence of lament in the Scriptures. We know that it's so because we see lament in the scriptures. There's a whole book of the Bible given to lament. It has the title Lamentations, okay? now Let me, let me tell on myself for a moment. This is going to feel really good to just get this out there. I was really, really, really old. I, I don't know when I, I finally understood that the book Lamentations, that the root word is lament, Okay, I think for a long time, I thought it was the word lamb. Like L-A-M-B, like the animal. Like what is this book called Lamentations? Just because I didn't know what lament was. You don't talk about that unless you talk about it at church. No one uses that word. We didn't talk about it. So what's Lamentations? I don't know. It must have something to do with a small sheep. So if if you are in elementary school listening, just know that there is such a word as lament, that lament is a God-given response to living in a broken, sinful world, and that it's the root word of the book that's right after Jeremiah called Lamentations. It's a book full of lament, multiple laments, therefore lamentations. Jeremiah, also written by Jeremiah, he's Lamenting, He's responding to the, the pitiful condition of Jerusalem. The glorious city of God has been broken, plundered, occupied. And his heart is broken. He's pouring out his heart to the Lord. So there's a whole book of the Bible given to lament. We have individuals lamenting at various times in the scriptures. And then we have certain psalms of lament. Psalm 74 is one of those. And here we are in Psalm 74 to learn what lament is by observation. Okay, so we're going to observe three things about lament from Psalm 74. Because lament is more than just complaining. It's more than just dwelling on the the bad, okay? It's not lament and country music are not equivalent things. Lament has a form and a purpose. God's given us a script for approaching him with a broken heart. So here are the three things we can observe about lament. So look back at the insert in your uh, bulletin or have your Bible open. Lament is, first of all, okay, three things we're going to observe. Lament is, first of all, a Godward sorrow. Lament is a Godward sorrow. Notice verse 1, the very first words, O God. The psalmist has taken his sorrow to God. We see this in the words, O God. God is being addressed. Lament is a God word. Sorrow. I just want you to stop and understand, Christian, that you can take your pain to God. You can take your pain to God. You can take your sorrow to God. Take your sorrow to God. The psalm begins, Oh God. There is great victory in these first two words, even though it may not appear so right away. And even though it's counterintuitive, there is so much to rejoice in by just observing these first two words. Do you know what they mean? Do you know why these words are worthy of celebrating? Pain and sorrow and questions have not driven the author away from God. He is taking them to God. He is drawn near to God with his burden and not walked further away. And I wonder if you can say the same. can you get to this point? Can you make a beginning? Can you, can you get to the point of simply saying, oh God. On some days, that will be all that you were able to say. All you will be able to say is, oh God, and you won't be able to get any further than that because to express anything further than that will be beyond what you can bear. But let me just encourage you, God can take it from there. He can fill in the blanks when you can take that heart full of sorrow to him and simply say, oh God. A Godward sorrow is better than a godless joy. And pain and suffering are not beyond the redemptive power of God to be used and redeemed to draw us closer and closer to our God who is all goodness and love. Lament is, first of all, it's a Godward sorrow. The second thing we notice is that lament is an admission of reality. We see this in verse one. We see it pretty much straight through verses three through nine. We look at back at the text, notice all the, the verbs, how he's describing the action of the enemies. The the context for the writing of this psalm is probably the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. The Babylonians coming in and setting fire to the temple and destroying everything. So he's likely writing about the same circumstances that Jeremiah was writing about, Lamentations. The author is just recounting what's going on around him. He's admitting it's admitting reality. We can begin at verse 3. Look, the enemy has destroyed. And then he goes on in the next six verses doing the same thing, describing his reality further. Your foes have roared. They set up their own signs. All its carved wood, they broke down. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned. They said to themselves, they burned. That's what he's seeing from the enemy. He's just spelling it out all out in detail. He's admitting reality. And then there's this in verse 9 about what's going on in the lives and emotions of God's people. We don't see our signs. There's no longer any prophet. There's none among us who knows how long. And what we want to do with all this information is just notice that lament holds nothing back. Lament holds nothing back. All of the details are laid out before God systematically. Lament is raw. It's unedited. There's no effort to put a positive spin on things. Isn't that refreshing? There's great comfort for us here because we see and we know that we can take every emotion and every raw statement of reality to God. Things that we do not feel like we can say to other people because we're afraid of being judged by them as unspiritual or unfaithful. All those things about our reality that we would like to be able to share with other people, but we hold back because we fear being judged as not being a good Christian. All of these things we can leave with God. God, this is exactly what's happening. This is exactly how it's making me feel. I see no positive signs here. There's no one to guide me, and there's no end in sight. And we should never be afraid or hold back from sharing our reality with God for the very simple reason that he already knows. He knows it even better than we do. In fact, he sees everything. He sees things that we don't see. And we never tell God anything that he doesn't already know. We never tell God something that surprises him. He has seen and he knows and he knows us and understands us better than we know and understand ourselves. And let's face it, it can be very hard to admit our reality to another person to bring it out into the open. I'll just speak for myself. It can be very hard for me to admit my difficult reality to another person because at some point in talking about that difficult reality that I'm dealing with, at some point, it feels very much like a personal failure. I'm confronted with the fact that, you know, I have not been able to control my situation. I have not... Led well. I have not been who I should have been. And if I was better at all these things and doing a good job, I wouldn't be dealing with this horrible reality. And this is what's happening around me. And it's just, it's just a matter of pride. And admitting a painful reality, whether it involves a failure in marriage or some kind of a parenting issue or maybe we got let go from a job or we didn't make the team, bringing the whole reality in front of another person. Um, let's just say we face a lot of obstacles to doing that. And we may have been burned in the past by doing that. And all we want to say here is that we don't face those obstacles with God. We can let our guard down with him. We can say everything that we're feeling We're free to admit raw reality to him. So lament, lament is a godly response to painful circumstances where we go to God and begin to talk with him about our reality. That's what we've learned so far. Let's learn this one thing more from Psalm 74. So lament is a Godward sorrow. Lament is an admission of reality. We see that in the scriptures. Finally, lament is a request for intervention. Lament is a request for intervention. We see this several times in Psalm 74. Would you take a minute to just notice with me verses 20 to 23 the different ways that, so many different ways of asking God to intervene. Verse 20, have regard. Verse 22, Arise, defend, remember. Verse 23, do not forget. We could skip all the way back to verse two and see two times. Remember, remember. And even in verse three, verse three, direct your steps. All through the psalm, the he's asking. God to, to intervene. Lament is more than just admitting reality. See, we're moving past a simple admission of reality and soaking in the pain. And lament it moves further, okay? This is a big step. Lament moves further and petitions God to intervene and change our reality. It's asking God to get involved. Notice this one thing more about the request to intervene. This large chunk that we haven't covered yet. Verses 11 through 17. See what he's doing there? He's reminding God of God's power to intervene and change things. Recounting all these mighty deeds that God has done whereby there is no reason why God cannot intervene and change the circumstances. God, if you are the one who is from of old, if you divided the sea, if you broke the heads of the sea monsters, you crushed their heads, you split open springs and brooks, so you made water where there was no water. And then next, where there was water, you took it away, you dried up ever-flowing streams. if you're the one who established the heavenly lights and the sun, if you fixed the boundaries of all the earth, if you made summer and winter, God, if you fixed the boundaries of the earth, you can fix this. This is the sovereign, all-powerful God who, according to Ephesians, Ephesians 1, is the one who works All things according to the counsel of his will. All things. There's nothing outside of his control. God can do anything that he wants to do. And that has been demonstrated in creation and in history as the author of Psalm 74 recounts. So notice this with me, brothers and sisters, that while lament is full of sorrow, lament is also full of faith. This psalm is full of sorrow, but it's also full of faith. Why is it full of faith? Well, don't you think it would have been really easy for this writer to look at the circumstances around him, how God's name is profaned, the temple's being burned? It'd be very easy to look at those circumstances and think, well, God must not be here. Or he must not be powerful. Or he must not be good. When all this bad stuff is happening. Why would God ever allow this to happen? But on the contrary, this author of Psalm 74 recounts how very powerful God is. He says the opposite. He reminds himself and reminds God of how powerful indeed God is. And that is what faith looks like. It holds on to what we know is true of God, even though everything we see around us is to the contrary and looks the opposite. So we appeal to God to intervene on the basis of his all-powerfulness. Let's just stop for a minute and do a small but very important point of practical application, okay? When we run into lamentable situations in life, whether it's war in Ukraine, whether it's events in downtown Minneapolis, whether it's something going on in your own life, very important question is what do we turn to? How do we respond? Even as Christians, what do we turn to? And we've been conditioned in various ways to respond to lamentable circumstances by taking sides or offering explanations. Or going immediately to social media to share our opinion on what's happening. When these lamentable things start happening, those responses that characterize most of the world characterize us too, even as Christians. That's what we do. We do things like take sides, and we form camps, and we throw darts, and we create heroes, and we create villains, and we create scapegoats, and we multiply opinions, and we do all these things except for lament except for the very thing, the very template that God has given us for how to respond. So I want to encourage you, just as a point of practical application, to become a lamenter. Maybe it's just you in a piece of paper. Or it's you in your phone, and you come across something horrible and lamentable, to take it first to God, before you take your opinion to everyone else. Just stop and say, oh God, this is horrible. This is what I'm seeing. Intervene. Intervene in this broken world. Come, Lord Jesus. As Christians, we should be the ones that are steeped in reality. We should take reality so seriously that we continually admit the presence of an all-powerful God at the foundation of the universe. He is reality. The people of God lament. Lament is a Godward sorrow. Lament is an admission of reality, and it's a request for God to intervene on the basis of God's power. I'm going to say three things really quickly about the value of lamenting. These will be very brief because I think a legitimate question could be raised at this point. Like, hey, what if God doesn't intervene? Like, is this just a waste of time to go to God to say, can you intervene in these awful circumstances? What if he doesn't? Or what if he takes longer than we want him to? What is the value of lament? First of all, so three things. The first First thing we want to say about the value of lamenting together is that lament is a response that honors the circumstance. Lament is a response that honors the circumstance. Sometimes the only appropriate response is lament. There are some days in life that are so hard and so dark, some situations that are so painful that they defy all of our best efforts to be polite and be kind and to say the right thing. And the only response that honors the difficulty of the circumstance is to lament. Secondly, lament is worship that reflects reality. Lament is worship that reflects reality. I have a favorite preacher. I've been listening to him for probably 20 years. For lots of those years, I couldn't answer the question like, why do you enjoy listening to him so much? Finally, it came to me one day when I was driving in the car. The answer was reality. He preaches like Jesus is real. He, he preaches like he understand, understands that his listeners live in the real world. And that there's a way for Jesus to impact the real world. And I think for a long time, I had listened to people that I'm not always sure that's the impression that I got. Part of the problem was with my own heart. That there are few things more unattractive than worship that does not accord with reality. Like when we feel like we have to come with a smile on our face or fake it. And on the other hand, there are few things more beautiful than worship that is steeped in the great reality of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we lament, we project to each other and to the world, this is reality. The world is broken. We're not shutting our eyes to that. We're acknowledging that. We're acknowledging that while some of us are celebrating in this room, there are others in this room that are mourning and going through something really hard. And if we don't have a reason to lament this morning, if I'm not lamenting anything, my brother or sister does, and I'm lamenting with them. Because that's their reality today. Finally, lament reminds us that we're not home yet. This world can be great and it can be comfortable, but it's not home. And when we lament and take time to remind ourselves of the sin and brokenness, that we see around us, we remind ourselves we are not home yet. That we await the renewing command of Jesus. That we do not control the world. We are dependent on God and his sending of the Lord Jesus Christ to renew creation and bring salvation. Lament reminds us that we're not home yet. Lament is one of the songs for the way. It is just as fitting as the song of joy. You are not out of place if you sing a song of lament. It's just as fitting as the song of joy. But lament is a fading song, it doesn't last forever, it fades out to nothing and is replaced by a song of triumph and a song of never-ending joy to the glory of Jesus. But even though lament is replaced, your lament is never forgotten. Psalm 56, God counts our tossings and has put our tears in a bottle. Your lament is valuable because it's valuable to God. How do we know? Because he keeps it. He keeps it. Therefore, let us give him our lament. Amen. Father, we're thankful that this scripture is accord with reality. And that even on our darkest days, we have a companion in the written word of God and in the incarnate word of God. I pray that you would minister peace and comfort to your people today. That this place, our our own tiny little fellowship of believers, would be a place where lament finds a home. Because lament finds a home in the scriptures. And we want to be people of the word. Thank you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.